Hi, and welcome back to The Imperfect Brand. This is the podcast that listens to people just like you talk about their experiences running businesses just like yours, so that we can all benefit from the sort of relevant, hard-won knowledge that makes everything else easier. I'm Ben Catley-Richardson. Again, I'm your host, and this is episode four. Today, I have Ashley Jones with me, Director of Framework Media. In 2017, Ashley launched the Marketing Showcase, a monthly B2B business event for marketing professionals around the UK. Welcome. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Ben. Pleasure to be here. Good. That's always a good start. So <laughs> one thing I did want to ask um, immediately is um, events really is your, is your thing. You know, that's what Framework does. But what makes a good events manager? As a person? As a, yeah, as a person, as an individual, um, my when I joined the business, it's my it's my dad's business primarily. So thirty years ago, my dad launched this, and I never had any ambition to join the company, but you know, fell into it, enjoyed it ever since. The one the one key thing he told me was tenacity. I think what separates a good event manager and a one that doesn't work, one that's launches an event and it's unsuccessful, is that they keep going. There's so many hurdles that an event throws up, whether it be to do with a venue, to do with how many visitors you've got, exhibitors, whatever type of event, there's normally, and it goes for business generally, um, there's normally 101 hurdles. And if you give up at hurdle two, you're never going to reap the rewards that comes after you've hurdled number 101. So tenacity is probably the number one thing I'd say, and, and sticking at it when times get tough. I think that works really well to move on to what we're kind of here to talk about because I've invited you to talk about your imperfections and the reason I do this podcast is to try and reinforce the fact that I believe in that learning is just failing in the right direction which for me sounds like that's all about tenacity it's all about having that belief in in you going in the right direction so um, what imperfect anecdote are you going to share with us today Ashley? Yeah so I thought what would be really I try to look back at the many failures I've had. There's been a lot of them, but one of them that springs to mind or stuck, stuck with me for a long time was probably one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. And it was a sales call that I had with a prospective exhibitor for an event, which I'm going to make sure they remain nameless during this call. Um, I haven't mentioned it, but I have got this thing that I'm going to go back and speak to them and say, you know what, you, you helped me. Uh, because I launched into this pitch and I probably went in a little bit heavy or I was talking, you know, I've got a tendency of saying three words when I really should just say one. And he just cut me off halfway through and he just said, you know what, Ashley, that was the most boring pitch I've ever received. Absolutely terrible. If any of my sales staff ever launched a pitch like that and it got back to me, they'd be fired on the spot. And I'm sitting there and I can feel my nerves now as I, as I sort of relive it. My heart was just pounding I was like do you know what this is awful and I ended up sort of stuttering and going oh, I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm, I'm really sorry you know like the moment out of the in-betweeners um, I'm really sorry but I just froze and every salesperson I suppose has had it but maybe not quite in such a rude setting and I don't know whether it's the right time in this call to talk about it but the upshot is that was the worst it's ever been that was the worst sales call I've ever had it was the most embarrassing incident I've had on a phone, cold calling, and it can't get any worse than that. So the next call was easier, and the call after that was easier. 
And that has built, eventually given me thicker skin and I'm able to make more sales calls without the fear of rejection. So that's my imperfect imperfection. Do you remember what it was you started with? Do you remember any of the um, sort of points or the angles that you were using to get into that call? Do you know, I don't off, off by heart, to be honest with you, but my style is always, I go off people, you know, I love having chats with people and in a sales setting, I generally have a hook. I, I research the client beforehand. They might like golf. I like golf. I might say, oh, this is a bit of a weird one, but, you know, I was playing golf at the weekend, blah, 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 blah. And I probably just said too much. I just what didn't get to the point. He was busy. I was taking up too much of his time. And to be honest with you, on reflection, he was rude. You know, that was way, way too... If, if In our business, if somebody answered the phone like that to a sales call, I'd be pretty upset that somebody from our, our team had, had spoken to somebody like that. I don't think anyone deserves it, but, you know, it happens. I'm sure we've all told the double glazing salesman to, to do one every now and again. I do it sometimes, so I can't say I'm perfect. But I think I just generally waffled too much. I didn't present any value to him. I was wasting his time at the end of the day. And, and you know, he could have been polite and said, thanks, but no thanks. But he decided to really let me have it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, value, I think, is really important to sort of think about in that way. You're talking about him being busy. You're talking about the time that you'd obviously be taking out of his day. And one of the things I see a lot is um, on social, especially, is people talking about giving value. You know, got to give value to audience. But what I don't see very often is people talking about what that value actually is. So thinking back to that moment, what sort of value do you think was lacking in that initial conversation that you started with him? It's a good question. I, we're trying to give you the most succinct answers as possible here. I'm trying to learn from my mistake of that call now. I'm going to be conscious of that. There isn't. <laughs> anyway, um, the, the, the value in, in, in any salesperson's role is you're going to provide that business with an answer to a need that they've had. And, you know, for, for an exhibition or for the events we run, normally that's new business opportunities. And sometimes in a, in a, in, in my role, I can, I can make that a bit too, you know, too wishy-washy, I suppose, like I've said a few times, but the value that I needed to get across to him was by exhibiting at our event, you can meet new customers. That is how many words I needed to say, but I just overcomplicated it. And, 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 and that value was lost. And I think what you were saying about the social thing, it's a really interesting point. It's a, it's a popular post I've noticed. It's a popular thing to say on social media, give value, give value, give value. That's content that you can easily, anyone can post that. I could go on my LinkedIn today and say, oh, do you know what you've got to do on LinkedIn? You've got to give real value. Do you know what you've got to do in your marketing? But those people don't actually give value themselves. That is an invaluable post to post. It's quite ironic, really. So, And if you were sat there with your, your young self making that first call, do you, I mean, I think you had it there, really, you, you, you brought it down to a single statement. But at what point do you think you bring that statement in? And at what point do you think you'd be prepping your young self? You know, get, would you be saying, get into the conversation first, you know, do, do that kind of ice breaking thing? Or would you be saying, look, you know, get the value in there straight away, so that they know whether this is a call or not to take? 
what do you think is the best kind of approach? Yeah, so, um, I'm sure he won't mind me talking to him. I don't know him that well, but I follow him on LinkedIn. I love his content. It's um, a gentleman called Dan Knowlton, and he has a marketing agency, and he posted a poll last week on LinkedIn saying, do you, in, in, your, in your DMs on LinkedIn, do you prefer a bit of tickle to warm up, or do you like somebody to cut the rubbish and get to the point? And I thought it was really interesting. There was a wide range of responses. And I said to him, I prefer a bit of tickle because I prefer for somebody to show that they haven't copy and pasted a message and sent it to me. Um, but then there was lots of other people that were like, you know, don't waste my time, get to the point, tell me what you want. And if I want it, I'll buy it. And I think the, you know, using that in the context of this question, you, that's the skill of a good salesperson. It's really difficult on the phone, but if you try and equate to it at an event in person, I can see your facial expressions. I can see the type of person you are. I can see in your body language, whether you're receptive to a conversation, a chat, and then that can lead to, to more probing questions, proper business questions, or are you busy? Are you, are you rushing past the stand? Do I just need to get in there and answer your question right there and right then? So it's a skill, I think is the answer. It's knowing when is the right time to have a, have a chat and talk about something. How, how, are they, how are they engaging with the conversation? Or is it time to go in for the kill and cut the rubbish and, and get the answer? Another point that my, um, my father taught me in the business was, I don't know, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bleep myself because I feel like it's probably not the time to swear, but S or get off the potty. You know, in sales, maybe is the worst answer you can get. So there is a point where you've got to say to somebody, are you interested? Are you ready to buy? Is this something you're interested in? You've got to qualify them. Otherwise, you can waste a hell of a lot of time dealing with people that are neither yeses or nos. And you could have spent more time dealing with the people that are going to bring value to you, are going to be your customers, are going to help. I think that's also, you've got that idea, haven't you, of uh, people walking past the stand. That's a really nice way of looking at it, that you know you can get that sense from them, which obviously when you see them in real life, like you say, you know, if they've got their lunch in their hand rushing off, you know, it's not the right time. You don't want to be one of those, um, what did they used to call them, the, the chuggers in the high street who would stop you, you know, to try and ask you to sign up to a, a charity or, you know, some sort of subscription model, that kind of thing. I guess what I'm kind of interested in now is looking ahead from that moment. If the imperfection in that moment was that you didn't get to the point fast enough in a way the guy's feedback was was useful but also quite unuseful you know just telling you it's boring just telling you you know that you'd be fired it's quite an aggressive way of basically pushing back at you and saying you know you're doing a bad job how would you have phrased his response to someone if you got a call like that today how would you be able to sort of give a much more positive response while still as he did pulling you up on the failure and kind of giving you a learning experience. Do you know what? The 50% of that, probably even more of that phone call was him having a bad day. I'm absolutely adamant of it. But what he gave me, which eventually I'm sure I'm going to thank him for, I'm going to, I know who he is. I know exactly the client. I'm, I'm going to phone him up one day when I'm very successful eventually. <laughs> and I'm going to say, thank you. You know, that really helped me. Um, and he won't remember, won't remember it, which is exactly why I think it was just him having a bad day. But I learned so much from it in terms of uh, he he never he ne he didn't even come he didn't even realise that I needed to get to the point. 
it was me from the feedback he gave me that realized, you know what, that's what I went wrong there. I was self-evaluating after the call. Um, so to answer your question, what would I do in that position? I probably wouldn't even give them the advice. I probably wouldn't even give them the advice and it would be up to them to, to come up with it as a response, but that isn't helpful for this. So what would I do? Um, I would, I get a lot of the calls and I've got to say this carefully as well, because I don't want to annoy anyone or offend anyone, but I get a lot of the calls for uh, like domain names and stuff in my website, or do you need, do you need a new website built for you? And their qualification questions show absolutely no research, absolutely no idea about our business. You know, they just have us on a list. So I think the most, the best advice I can give at that point is that they need to do the research. They need to understand my need before they've even phoned me so that I don't have to waste their time in the, in the, in the start of the conversation. You know, phone me, what I should have done in that position and what I'd hope that somebody would do to me is research my business enough that they, before they phone, they have an idea that will solve one of my problems. And if they introduce themselves and say, look, I've had a little look at your website, maybe this isn't quite right and this is my solution to it, that would entice any business owner or any person in business to have a conversation. So I think the key to Michael and the key to anyone that was going to do that to me that I give, the piece of advice I give is, is kind of do your research. I love cold calls. Like it's probably now the most, one of the best parts of my job. I love picking up the phone. I love um, speaking to new people and stuff, but I never make a cold call. I always make a warm call. I've always done some piece of research. I've always done something. Probably since that phone call I had with this gentleman that told me to go away, um, done some bit of research so that I know that I've got some something that I can add value to them. Fantastic. So yeah, it's about preparation, isn't it? Preparation, 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 and make yeah. sure that even if you do get them on a bad day, you can still maybe just a little snippet give them. Okay, I was calling you about this, but why don't I call you back at a better time? Yeah. Like that. Yeah. And it, it just goes, uh, it's a really good analogy. I was, I was that sales, or I was the person that was flogging domain names to the business that never wants domain names. I was the person that was trying to flog marketing services to the business that's got all their marketing covered. I didn't do any research to whether that was the case. And I should have, and I do now. And that's really been a, been a bonus. You know, my start and working relationship with your business, Ben, um, I've, I've started speaking to your colleague, Sean, from a cold call, but I did some research about the background to your company, you know, and, and, and I think that was appreciated to the point where, you know, we've done quite a bit of work together over the past. So, yeah. Yeah. And definitely since everything went digital. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, if we're moving on then to looking ahead, I don't really want to focus on you know, what we've talked about outside of this call personally and what you've no doubt talked about to many, many people and everybody listening has talked about to everybody else about how we got through last year and about the pivot to digital and about everything like that. What I'm more interested in talking about now is where you go from here. So what is, aside from the pivot to digital and the, and the questions about digital, what's the bleeding neck problem you're facing right now? What's the biggest challenge you're facing as you go from this point onwards? I think it's probably not one that can be answered until time plays out. But my challenge at the moment is taking 
all of the hard effort and work we've done to build what we've got and apply it to the business we're going to go back to. I'm a bit of a unique case, I suppose, but most people have their business has been affected in some way, shape or other, and they've had to alter their services. And it's we've spent a lot of time, effort, love, tears, money on building that platform, building the stuff to, 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 to participate in last year. How do we not just chuck it all away into the shed to never be seen again and go back to normal, but how do we apply what we've learned, what we've built to something that looks a little bit more like normal? I was going to use the term new normal, but I hate it, so not. But when we go back to running events, how do we apply what we've learned and what we've built in the last year is probably my biggest challenge right now. And do you have any starting points for that? Have you started looking at how you, for instance, reuse content that you recorded or combine the digital world and the real life world? Is that a process you've gone through yet? Yeah, so Ben, I think one of the things that we've had as a business that's been really successful is we, we do stuff. We get on and we do things. We don't, I saw, a, I saw a quote last month. It's a very famous one. So the fact that I've only seen it recently is probably criminal, but it's um, 1% imagination, 99% perspiration. And I think as a business, we do that very well. So I don't think we're going to spend too long or longer than necessary thinking about the strategy behind it. We're going to get on and we're going to do events that we've been doing well for the last 30 years and we're going to do them again very well. And yes, we've got this lovely online format that we've built and it's very well received for the last month and we will not drop it. But I have the belief that as human creatures, we, we want to go back to normal naturally. I don't think too many people, even if they say they have, I don't think too many people have gone through this amount of change and absolutely relish it and will never go back to some of the old practices they did. You know, we're not going to be doing Zoom quizzes with our families every Friday uh, forevermore. So I think people want to get back to whatever they called normal previously. And um, I think that's really important when we look at for going forward. It's like, don't forget what we've been doing for 30 years very, very well as a business. Let's, let's get back as close as we can to that. And all of the new things that we've learned that fit with that, that we're not trying to shoehorn in, but actually fit with that model, let's apply them and let's make it better than it was when it, when it left. But um, it won't just be for the sake of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the only question I'd have is just an outsider then and whether or not it's something that you can say without revealing too much, but is, can you give us an example of um, something that you've learned from the last 12 months that you know in your heart you will definitely address to the next 12 months? Yeah, so a, a, a positive, yeah, something that we can add. Yeah. It's so obvious now, and this is why it's so funny when I look back a bit about it. So with our previous event model, we had loads of content. You know, we were touring the country. We had brilliant speakers joining us. They were talking about great stuff that people wanted to know about. And we protected that content. We didn't share it. It, it stayed within the four walls of the event that was there. And it was for the benefit of the people that could be bothered to come. And we very much had the view that we're not going to record this. We're not going to share it. And if you wanted to see it, you need to come to your next event. I get it. I get the logic. It makes sense when you say it like that. But it's a very fearful way of operating an events business. 
what we've done really well in the in the on the online format is we've made that content accessible to everybody every webinar is recorded and it's shared with participants afterwards and links to people that didn't register that didn't see that content can view the recordings at a later date and that whets their appetite to come to the next live event naturally and it's like you don't need to be scared of giving that content away because actually what it does is it switches people on to um to, to visit next time you're in the area or next time you're in the um you know next time they can come to an event so what i'm going to do is all of the content that's built at that event we're going to amplify now rather than silencing we were literally silencing the content and it's like no shout about it it's brilliant it's the best part of the event that's what everyone wants um so we still need to maintain the fact that you know we do run a live event and people do need to turn up or there needs to be this hybrid format which lots of people are doing a lot of research and investing a lot of time into um but people need to be there on the day that is the value that we provide to our clients but we can we can build our brand awareness and we can shout from the rooftops about this brilliant content that we've had at that event in a much better fashion than we were uh, in 2019. Fantastic. Yeah, that, that sounds like a really good recipe going forwards. I like um, I'm probably going to be completely wrong in the way that I'm paraphrasing this, but I do like uh, Seth Godin's approach, which um, he put in his book, This is Marketing which for, as I remember goes along the lines of you've got to do something so wholeheartedly, do something so positive and good and of, of such a good high quality and basically give that away. But then you charge for the, the more expensive version of that, the sort of um, personalized or you as a person delivering that thing. So in your case, you know, here's all this free content of free talks and stuff like that, but that's just the, the ephemera, the output of, of what we actually do. What we really do, to go back to that phrase that you should have used on the phone, what we really do is give you opportunities to meet clients, to mm. meet prospects. And that you don't get that by just watching the content, but the content is something we'll give you for free as a huge benefit. And really then we get back to this idea of value, don't we? There's some value that we're giving away for free, but you can't get the value that we really offer until you come through that gate and you actually, you know, start working with mm. us in that way. Mm. It's the age old thing of kind of like a free trial. I mean, everyone probably started off with that. Um, it was it Netflix that did the kind of thing on the street where you'd sign up for 30 days free and nobody would ever cancel it. And back in the day when Netflix was kind of like the blockbusters, little, little brother or blockbusters, annoying little brother. And um, you signed up to it and you got, you thought you were, yeah, no, that's a, that's actually that's a very irrelevant example, Ben. I apologise. No, no, no. I think I think you're right because how that works is is that what Netflix is saying is um, we're going to open the door for you. Yeah, we, we're going to let you in, and we're going to let you experience just enough of what we provide, just to make you feel like you can't live without it. Yeah, and that's the key sort of crux isn't it in a way that's um the key crux of offering someone value as well is if you offer somebody something of value that they go how did i manage with that without that before and now i didn't have a pain before i had a dull pain that i didn't quite understand but now suddenly i've got this pain i know what it is i know what it looks like and i know what makes it go away and yet this person who's given me a taste of it is now you know withdrawing the taste of it oh my god i've got it's pushing really isn't it but um in a you know in an obviously if you're offering something of ethical value a really boring but arguably less sexy example but i'm hoping that people can take something from it 
Um, we've got this this speaker, which I think probably by the time this podcast has gone live, has already done their talk. So I'm not revealing anything new, but they're giving a, a, a fully educational webinar on going from zero to 80,000 website visitors using organic SEO. It's like, wow, I need some of that. I want to watch that. I need those visitors. They're going to give everything away in that talk of how you can do it. But when you start writing down the notes and when you finish the webinar and when you go back and you start trying to implement this, you're going to realize how, how hard it is, how difficult it is, how you need somebody to do that for you. And surprise, surprise, the person that's doing the webinar can do that for you. So it's like uh, wetting the appetite enough, uh, but not too much that you're kind of giving everything away. Yeah, so I would have read something else, Ben, recently. I don't know whether I've got time to mention this to you, but um, I, read this, I read this quote about giving it was something like giving away. Um, you just can't give away too much, basically. It was the basic premise behind it. I don't need yeah. to ever say it. It was it. You just can't give too much away. And by showing, like you say, wholeheartedly that you're in this for, for their benefit and their needs and you're there to answer their question, even if you give away all the trade secrets in the world, they're probably going to come back to you to, 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 to do that for them. It would be very difficult like if you're a marketing expert. Let's use you for an example, Ben. You're a brilliant brand strategist. You can do, you've got all the creativity in the world. You could give me as much creative knowledge as we could spend hours talking about it. But I'm not creative. I can't use that to as best effect as you can. So you, in your position, you could give away more and more and more and more, and I'd eat it up, eat it up, eat it up, and think that I'm getting cleverer and cleverer and cleverer. But really, can I apply it in the way that you can to my business? And that was the point of the anecdote. It was, you can't give enough away. Absolutely. Fantastic. I guess um, this might not be giving too much away, uh, given your potential insider knowledge on what's going to, to happen. But how far away do you think we are from you doing your first face-to-face -face event after all this yeah so there's two sides to this conversation ben there's the fact that every time i've made a prediction or every, every time i've made a plan it's gone wrong it's it's been pushed back it's been done anything so i kind of think now that i'm jinxing it by saying but you know if you look at the roadmap that's been adopted um this is quite an interesting point actually if you look at the roadmap there's going to be a time where you're allowed to run events lawfully you're allowed to, to run live events in person with social distancing restrictions, right? But there's also going to be a time where those social distancing restrictions are ending. So I foresee there being this weird middle phase where events are taking place, but you can't hug your nan, right? And that's a really weird space to start planning events in because it's like, are people going to be confident enough or willing enough to actually go to a B2B event, you know, that isn't vitally important it's a it's a it's a what's the right word for it it's a, it's a benefit. yeah it's a luxury yeah that's, that's what I'm looking for. it's a luxury uh when when all of these things are still in place so i can reveal that i won't be running events in that weird gray period we're going to be waiting until there is a time where there's full confidence from visitors to return in a safe manner and they are looking forward to coming back so you know fingers crossed them when you when you look at the when you look at the the roadmap fingers crossed that's this autumn but you know i don't i don't want to say that i don't want to put a date to it just because i feel like if i put that in the atmosphere it'll go wrong i have um, got 
I'm just not going to put them into the universe. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think we actually had that conversation, didn't we, last autumn about where where things were going? And yeah, it's just impossible, impossible to know. But it's good to know, you know. I think, like you said, it's good to know what shape it will look like for you, even if you can't put any dates to it. That you know for certain that you're not going to operate in that that middle ground. You're waiting until, you know, the gates are fully open and it's really this, back in. This is what I was talking about, like about um, getting on and doing things there's operationally doing these events and then there's kind of conceptually or marketing and promoting them. And they're two very different things. Of course, when the venues are allowed to, we can put a floor plan together and we can book spaces on there. But are you in an environment where you can actually promote and market that event to make it as good as what we left previously? There's a well-known phrase in the events industry is you're only as good as your last event. And if we jump the gun, and we've, you know, okay, we've ticked all the boxes for health and safety, but nobody turns up because they can't hug their nan, as I use in my example. You, you, your reputation's damaged a huge amount, and that's going to be very difficult to bring back. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, fingers crossed. Then, you know, we get some uh, some com confident, positive news as we move on. But it's good that you've got that plan. You've got that real the nan plan. You've got that um, put plan, together. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wait until you can hug your man and then yeah. you can run. That's it. Fantastic. Great stuff. Thank you so much for your time, Ashley. Really appreciate it. Really liked your insight on uh, the experience of, of cold calling. And uh, really glad that you haven't been through that experience more than once. No, me too. Me too. Thank you very much for having Excellent. me, Ben. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the fourth episode of The Imperfect Brand. And of course, thank you to Ashley for coming along and sharing with us that really difficult story to talk about, that humiliating experience at the beginning of his sales career. I'm Ben, I'm from Branclear. We make it easier to do business. And I hope that that's made it easier for some of you to tackle those first sales calls or even those 10th or 11th sales calls. I know it's really not my area of comfort, it's not something that I enjoy doing. But at the same time, taking on board what Ashley's been speaking about, I think you can work a sales call into the comfort zone of anybody who's about to do it by trying to bring something of yourself into it. So at the moment, I'm trying to do some sales calls or some sales answer, um, some sales messages to send to people and really try and have a conversation with them about their business. And I'm trying to do it by finding common ground by finding a way that they operate their business that I can agree on or can really get behind, or a way that their business operates, that Branclear operates in a similar way. And so we've already got something to talk about and already have some shared experience or shared values to work from. Anyway, thanks again. And I'll leave you, of course, with my favourite word, Forza. Forza, everybody. See you next time. Bye.